HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by the Michigan Cherry Committee. Learn more about the wonderfully tart Montmorency cherry at choosecherries.com. HRN is offering complimentary business memberships to 50 Black, Indigenous, People of Color-owned food businesses this summer. The deadline to apply is July 31st. Each business membership, a $500 value, is an advertising opportunity that will allow businesses disproportionately impacted by COVID-19 to connect with HRN's listening community and promote their work. To apply and review the terms and conditions, go to heritageradionetwork.org slash B-I-Z. Welcome to Feast Your Ears. I'm Harry Rosenblum, and I love to talk with people about what they do and how it influences their personal food stories. This is a show about people, life, and food. If you're just tuning in for the first time, all the previous episodes can be found in the archives at heritageradionetwork.org. I'm thankful for listeners like you, and I'd love it if you'd leave me a review wherever you find this podcast. For those of you with kids at home, I've been working on a new podcast here at Heritage Radio Network. Along with my co-host, Hannah Forden, the program manager at HRN, we've created Time for Lunch, a fun, food-focused show for kids. We're aiming to release a new episode every week, and we'd love it if you'd check it out wherever you get your podcasts. I'd also like to remind listeners that Heritage Radio is a nonprofit, and we need your help to stay on the air. If you enjoy this show and listen to the other great podcasts we produce every week, please find your way to heritageradionetwork.org slash donate to make your gift today. Today's theme... Grow your own and help your neighbors. From regrowing scallions on your windowsill to tomatoes on the fire escape to fully tilling up your lawn to grow food, this spring there's been an explosion of home gardening during the global pandemic. Whether it's a response to scarcity in the markets or wanting to stay home and not be in public or take on more self-sufficiency, people all over are growing more and more food. I had a great conversation over the weekend with Lucy Lesser, a dear friend who I will totally have on my zombie apocalypse team when the time comes. For the past eight years, she's been growing loads of her own food in Brooklyn. She's adamant that everyone has room to grow something, even if you don't have any outdoor space. This spring, she distributed over 1,500 seedlings to other people in her neighborhood so they too can grow something. It's fun and rewarding to grow even one or two plants yourself, especially if you can eat it. My name is Lucy Lesser. I live in Brooklyn, New York. I live in Bedside. And I am professionally, I'm a producer and director in like documentary, in the documentary space. My work outside of like my paid job revolves around uh, growing food and gardening and helping other people get the materials they need and the knowledge they might need or try to connect people to, to make that happen as well. Got it. Very cool. And how long have you been gardening and growing food for yourself? I have been, this is my eighth year having a garden in Brooklyn. I've I've never gardened outside of the city. Um, I actually just popped up like in my Facebook memory, like the first tomato I ever grew that I had picked eight years ago in my hand. And I was like, gosh, it, it is crazy. Like how much you learn by doing and how much, uh, my process has changed and how more how much stronger I feel that it's a really important thing that that people connect to in some way. So what got you started with it? I mean, did you just decide one day, oh, I have some room in my, you know, on my patio or on my fire escape and I just want to grow a tomato? 
Uh, yeah, actually, so I, this is a little bit of a roundabout story, but I grew up in California with my mom. She always had a garden. I hated gardening. I hated chores. Um, I even hated killing the slugs and snails. I also hated tomatoes and refused to ever eat them um, from the time I was a tiny child. I just thought they were nasty. I hated the way they tasted. Like, ugh, everything about it was disgusting to me. And then, honestly, it wasn't even until maybe my mid to late 20s that I had, like, an heirloom tomato type of situation. And I was like, oh, these are actually delicious. And they are also stupid expensive. Right. Um, so I, once I kind of was fortunate enough to move into an apartment that had outdoor space, I was like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to grow some tomatoes because I cannot fathom how much people pay for them. Right. Um, and, and actually that like I, for a long time up until really this year's garden really just tried to grow things that I either couldn't find in stores or that were um, expensive. Got it. And what's your process? Do you look at a seed catalog? Do you get seeds from other people? Do you save seeds from really delicious fruits and vegetables that you've eaten? It's funny you ask. Um, well, I, I do all of those things. Hmm. So um, I'm actually in a couple kind of like autonomous gardening groups. Um, one of them here in Brooklyn has like a seed and seedling swap every year. Nice. Um, I think we do a spring seedling swap. And then I think we've been doing them in the, we did one last year in the fall as well. Um, but yeah, I, I also like went to North Carolina last summer in July and they had a tomato festival and I was like, Oh, these tomatoes are delicious. Uh, I don't know what they are, but I did save the seeds. Um, and I do order, you know, from a couple catalogs, um, seeds, but I less and less every year because I do save so many. Um, although I, I, and I'm hoping I can save a lot this year because I actually really almost depleted my own personal seed bank this year. Right. So you, you ran a little bit of a program of giving away seedlings for free this year. Is that right? Yes. So as soon as um, the pandemic started ramping up in March, I had just been starting my seeds and also through like, basically the neighbor behind me cut down their tree and I was suddenly going to be able to get a lot more um, light in my yard. So I decided to start twice as many seedlings as I normally would. Oh. Uh, and then as things started getting really like you know for a while in New York there was just not stuff on the shelves and there there was also just a lot of anxiety about going to stores which there still is and yeah. you know so many people losing their jobs that I was just kind of betting that more people will want to grow their own food and I really hope that would be true I at the time was actually completely unemployed also and like very stressed about all those things as well um, and I just figured if I could decrease the barrier of entry to gardening um, for people with free seedlings that maybe um, I could help some people change their connection to their food and where their food comes from. Nice. So, I mean, um, I, I guess part of that is remove, I mean, the, so you talk about the barrier to entry. So when you talk about the difference between starting from seed and starting from a seedling, I guess it's like, you know, having done it myself, I guess, w would you describe it as being sort of like, when you start from seed, there's so many more things that can go wrong. And by the time a plant is a seedling, at least it, like you've, you've gotten it to a point where you're likely to get success. Yeah, but I, I do agree with that. But I also think that seeds, a packet of seed, uh, I have a, a, actually I found an amazing seed per, uh, shop this year in Ohio and all their seeds are under $2 a packet and they're all like heirloom and organic. Huh. Um, they're really amazing. And I actually wrote the guy a long letter to tell him about my project and I never heard back. Um, but a packet of seeds that might have 50 tomato seeds is like two bucks, right? Right. And I know that like, if you go to the shops around here, it's funny because I actually bought a seedling this year for, for the first time, uh, a couple weeks ago and it was like $10. Hmm. And I just, uh, to me, that price is so high if it's something that you don't know if you're good at this. You don't know if you like it. You don't know if it's going to provide you with enough food or any food. Sure. Um, so the thought to me was like, if I could give people seedlings for free and just start them, you know, maybe, maybe they died or maybe they didn't make it, but 
if it sparks something within someone, um, that would make me happy. And it's funny, uh, not to be such a run on sentence, but I've started getting like photos back from people I have no idea who they are, um, <laughs> showing me their yard with like these giant, like well-formed, delightful looking plants. That's amazing. Yeah, between um, March and, well, June, I just actually gave away two seedlings today. Um, Between March and uh, today, which is, you know, the end of June, I've gotten out over 1,500 seedlings easily. And I don't know how many um, packets of, of, of seeds as well. And all of those seedlings you started in your New York City apartment and backyard? Uh, well, to tell you the truth, I would say 85% of them. And then I also connected with some really cool local gardeners who fostered some trades for me as well. Nice. Um, which was really cool because I actually at one point had, you know, a flat of seedlings is about 11 inches by 18 inches, I think, like rectangular. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had definitely like, 28 trays going in my house at one point Hmm. um and it was a really cold spring so it involved bringing them in and out every single day right because you want them to go Um, out to get sunlight right you like take them for a walk yeah and like ideally you know like if i had more resources i would make a proper grow room with grow lights and i have grow lights that i can fit maybe two trays which is like kind of enough or three trays which is like what i would start just for myself um so on the scale that we were doing, we really needed like outdoor light. Right. Um, I also was like really fortunate that, um, pardon me. I also was really fortunate that I got a huge donation of seeds from like this amazing woman in Jamaica, Queens, who has a seed library called RIP. Uh, she's on Instagram. It's at Reclaim Seed NYC. Hmm. Um, and they are really, um, it just the project could not have happened without her contribution of just like thousands of seeds and it was just like i literally got in touch with her through some new york mutual aid groups and um explained to her what i was doing and she just sent me a giant delivery of seeds which i also have since gone out to like community gardens and and made them packages and um grown things that i never thought i would want to grow even because they weren't things i would have ever picked for myself yeah, so let's talk a little bit about variety. Um, yeah. So, you know, tomato was the first thing, right? Yes. Um, but then, like, what do you grow now? And are there things that you have grown over the years that you've kind of either given up on because it's not really doesn't work that well in an urban environment or you decided it just wasn't successful? Um, I think anything is successful in an urban environment. Okay. I think my skill or something about the way that I garden like I just am not good at growing tomatillos Hmm. like I think I've grown a couple and they just don't do well but I know other people do grow them in the city because I've seen them grow them and I've also never successfully grown okra uh, which has been like a constant failure for me but oddly enough I actually gave away this year um, because someone donated a bunch of old okra seeds and they were like test these for um to see if they germinate and they did and they all germinated and I was like well I don't need like a hundred okra plants (laughs) right um so people came and just picked up germinated seeds which I thought were really cool and those are totally thriving at other people's houses and and I killed um all of them (laughs) and then I planted another round of them and I killed those and then I planted a third round of those and I killed those sounds like the universe is telling you something about not growing okra yeah I think that's not for me um yeah, it's it just doesn't work out. That on the other on the flip side though, I started growing collards for the first time this year, and they're insane. Nice. So yeah, um, do you want? I did. It, it will take a while, but if you are interested, I can give you the full list of everything I grew. Yeah, I mean, so so let's, let's first let's start yeah. with a description of your space. Um, and I mean, you know, I, you and I know each other and I, I know yeah. your house and I know your backyard. Yeah. And I know that when you say, when you talk about where you started, you started out with a patio on the seventh floor. Is that right? Yeah. Where your apartment yeah. used to be. A um, patio that was, yeah, like eight feet wide and like 15 feet or no, maybe, uh, sorry, like 
30 feet long. Right. And then now you have a you have an actual backyard, but a good portion of that yard is concrete. Yeah, it's actually all concrete. It's nothing's in the. It's all container. Oh, it's garden. all container. I didn't realize that. I thought there were some yeah. parts of it that were actually. So it's all um, container. Kind of. Yeah. So yeah. It's, so it's all container garden on concrete for the most part. I have two plants that are not, or three plant, three edible plants that are in the ground. Got it. Um. So yeah. So I mean, just like a description of the space, I think would be yeah. a good a good start. And then also, yeah. what you know, obviously, uh, I mean, I've started to do a little bit more gardening. Um, not quite as prolific as yours, but you know, the things that I've come to kind of uh, on a on a very amateurish level understand are very important is a number of hours of sunlight that you get yeah. on your space. And in the city, that can be sometimes, I think, hard to determine or understand. Um, different outside of the city because in the beginning of spring, you might get tons of sun and then suddenly a tree that's above you might grow all their leaves and suddenly you're in shade. So it's a little different. And that was exactly the problem at my setup <laughs> and exactly what led to growing so many more seedlings this year. Because uh, So my, I'll, I'll explain to you my space. I live in a brick row house in Bed-Stuy. Um, I have a very small kind of like front yard that's all concrete. I have um, in the front we have, or I have a fig tree and a horse trough um, that are, the horse trough right now has green beans, pumpkins and carrots in it. And then I have, I, I garden in like Home Depot style five gallon buckets um, with dirt in them for the most part. I mean, you can put dirt in pretty much anything. Um, and I have a couple like window boxes in the front and then in the backyard, I think it's like 20 feet wide and maybe like 30 feet deep. It might be square, but, um, and a good portion of that is like patio furniture. Uh, and then I have my largest bed. Um, and I think this is why you thought, or it was in ground, but actually I used to have a shed when I first moved into this house Uh and there was no reason that I needed a shed that was nine feet by nine feet. Um, in New York city, there's, I don't need that space. So I ripped out the shed and it had a cinder block foundation. So then I filled the foundation with dirt. Uh, okay. Got it. Yep. Um, and then I have a couple horse troughs in the backyard as well. And I've actually just started experimenting with grow bags this year. Um, and I have just pots and buckets of all sizes that, uh, I grow anything in. What are you growing in the bags? We I we wanted to uh, we grow some potatoes and got some seed yeah. potatoes and then also had some potatoes that just sprouted. And mm-hmm. so I had a couple of like Ikea, like schlepping bags that I punched oh. holes in the bottom and filled with dirt and planted the potatoes in those. I'm very curious to see how that goes because that's actually one thing that's been on my list to experiment with was a plastic liner. Yeah. Um, but the ones that I have are like felt grow bags. Yep. Um, and I have sweet potatoes in one, and I have um, uh, like a Japanese eggplant in the other. And the eggplant that's growing in that bag is actually, even though it's in a confined like seven gallon bag, um, is much bigger and looks much healthier than the one I have in the garden bed that is a little bit less restricted. Huh. Interesting. Yeah, the potatoes that we planted in the IKEA bags are looking fantastic. I mean, the plants are three feet high. One of them That's has great. already started to flower. Um, wow! So, yeah, they're they're coming along. I mean, I I had this like idea because I was looking at the bags and I was like, well, I don't use these for anything. Maybe I could plant them. And then, of course, I did a quick Google search and I found like a Monty Don like video about growing potatoes in a bag and i was like cool we're gonna grow potatoes in these. definitely no um and actually i think that's the best thing to kind of grow them in because they need a lot of space um if you want a big harvest although i grew some in just like a i think it's like a maybe a five gallon tub last yep. year maybe it, it might be slightly bigger than that like an aluminum tub that you might see somewhere like with like ice and beer in it yep um, and I grew some regular potatoes in there last year and they were, they were pretty good. They were successful. That's not something I actually want to grow again though, I have to say, hmm. um, just because like white potatoes are not a huge part of my diet sure. and they're very cheap. Good point. Yeah. Right. So um, yeah, you were talking earlier about how the things you choose to grow are things that you like to eat that maybe are hard to find or things that seem expensive and so you can just grow them yourself 
Yes, or things that I use a ridiculous amount of. Sure. Um, so like cilantro, I just go through it like crazy. Basil, I go through it. Like I, basil is actually a really good example because I just don't understand why a small clamshell of basil should cost $5. Right. Um, <laughs> and nothing I make, uh, if I'm going to use basil, it's going to be like five of those clamshells. Right. Um, so I end up growing, I don't know, this year, last year I had more of a variety of basil. I probably had six different kinds of basils last year. Um, and this year I've toned it down and I think we only have three or four. Yeah, I feel like one of the things that, that really sort of opened up for me as I started to become aware of planting my own stuff. I mean, of course, right, having run the Brooklyn Kitchen and like I was well aware of there being a huge variety out there of every kind of plant or herb or fruit or vegetable. Yeah. Right? But yeah. at the same time, I think it's so ingrained in us that like when you if someone says to you, oh, yeah, I, I have some carrots the immediate thing that I think of is like a 10 to 12 inch long bright orange, you know, like inch to inch and a half thick carrot, because that's just how we were raised to identify these things. And so then having this whole world open up and being like, oh, yeah, when you look at like a seed catalog, you're like, there's 49 so different many. kinds of cabbage that you could grow and some yes. do better in hotter weather and some do better in cooler weather and some do better with more shade or more sun and all of these things that you then can start to think about when you're planting your yard and say well i know this area doesn't get a lot of sun but i still want to grow mm -hmm. something in it totally um like one thing i actually could not find the plant or the seed this year but I grew last year this thing that was just labeled as Vietnamese coriander. Um, and it does not look like culantro. It does not look like cilantro. But huh. it has that same taste. Whoa. It looks like bamboo, honestly. Like miniature, tiny bamboo. And it's very pungent. And um, it was really good. And I dried a bunch of it last year. But it never went to seed and it never went to flower. Huh. Um, Where did you get the I seeds actually, for last year? I bought it as a seedling at this, um, there's a garden center I really like in Long Island. That's like a, it's, it's a independent store. It's, it's a really big mega spot. Um, and I think they're a little bit expensive, honestly, but they do get some really unique stuff there. Um, so they had it as a seedling and I was like, oh, I'll try this. And I think I got to go back and check, but it looks like it may have overwintered or started to come back actually. Oh, cool. Um, like three or four leaves were popping up from it and it, it was definitely still that cilantro. But I'm like, I don't even know <laughs> what it is to find out. Yeah, to get I have more, literally yeah. no idea. Um, yeah, I, I actually don't even know what it would be. I guess it's just called Vietnamese coriander. <laughs> um, but it looks unlike... Yeah, it looks, I don't know, it just looks super different and it's a much more intense cilantro taste. Hmm. So yeah, so give me a quick tour like through your yard right now. Like what are you growing today? For myself? Yeah, I mean today is, you know, today is yeah. June 28th. So, like what, what, are you, what are you growing right now um, for yourself? Yeah. Okay, so I actually just harvested a bunch of black raspberries. Um, which has been really exciting that those are in. Um, we have several different kinds of chives. I'm trying to think of the things I've already eaten this year. <laughs> um, basil, like I said, a bunch of different kinds of basil, cilantro, parsley, just all the herbs, basically. Um, I have, gosh, probably 14 tomato plants, and those are probably 10 different varieties. Um, did I say figs? Um, yeah, you mentioned your fig tree earlier. I because I'm I have two of them so I'm extra excited about it. Um, <laughs> I have also butternut squash, kabocha squash, zucchini, um, three different kinds of eggplant. Wait, I'm gonna look out my window so I can remember. Um, borage, uh, two different kinds of radishes, two different kinds of arugula, lettuce, uh, collards, uh, two different kinds of kale. Um, and something else. Oh, and I just harvested uh, so much amazing garlic. And it's like, oh, and cucumbers. I have a bunch of different kinds of cucumbers too. Um, but the garlic I just pulled out of the ground and I am, that's one thing I'm super excited about. Um, 
because this is the second year I've grown it. But the first year, I think that I was able to plant it in the fall, uh, uh, which I didn't. I didn't realize that that's how you do it. Right. <laughs> um, and I just love that bougie homegrown garlic. Like it shouldn't be bougie. <laughs> like I like that good hard neck, right. like nice fresh garlic, and not like. Listen, I use. I go through so much garlic that we definitely buy garlic, sure. and I definitely use like mountains of garlic. Um, right. No, you're not. You're not homesteading in Brooklyn. Like you're no. not. You're not running a subsistence farm. I did harvest fifty heads of garlic, though. Amazing. So, am I not homesteading? Because I also just made today a tuli with um, some millet that was rescued from a business that was closing, and uh, I used mint that I dried last summer to put in it and mint that I grew this summer and chives and scallion that I grew this year um, and garlic that I grew this year. Um, so it is funny. Oh, and you know what else I put in it, Harry? Actually, I, I'm glad I'm, I'm talking today because I remember last year you and I foraged some um, um, sumac. Yes. And I put a ton of sumac in this dish oh, that I made today. Nice. Yeah, yes. Um, so that was awesome. But yeah, so... I I don't know. It's I I do grow a lot of the food that I eat. Yeah, um, I've I mean, also found the guy in my neighborhood that has chickens in his backyard and had swapped a couple times like plants for chickens with him. <laughs> you know, oh, sorry for eggs for eggs. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and and he lives in a brownstone in Bedside, right? And has twelve chickens in his backyard. This episode is brought to you by the Michigan Cherry Committee. Representing 75% of the U.S.-grown Montmorency tart cherry production, with over 100 articles published in health journals stating the vast health benefits of Michigan's superfruit, it's best to choose the cherry with more. U.S. Montmorency tart cherries. They're available year-round, dried, frozen, canned, juice, and concentrate. Learn more about the wonderfully U.S.-grown Montmorency tart cherry at ChooseCherries.com. Do you think that the the coronavirus pandemic has sort of like, I don't know whether what the right word is, like amplified the ability for you and other folks who are doing similar and related things in urban areas to like, have you guys started to connect and has that been amplified because of the coronavirus? Um, I would say yes. And um, I know that there are, gosh, off the top of my head, five different households that I have helped them start their first garden ever. Mm. Um, and I don't know how many others because, uh, with the seedlings, like, you know, a couple hundred would go out. I think we did four or five distros. Right. Um, and I would just set seedlings on a table for like a low contact thing. And like, I put it up on Instagram and Facebook and the, the second or third time we had it, 75 people came. That's amazing. I mean, it sounds very, it, it and that's reminds the peak. Yeah. <laughs> like, Right. You know, right. When New York like was completely now. shut down. Yeah. I had 75 people come to my front yard to pick up uh, plants to grow food. I mean, it reminds me very much of like the idea behind the victory gardens that were heavily mm-hmm. promoted during World War One and World War Two, where, you know, people were encouraged to grow their own food and can their own food because we were at war. And because people, you know, the idea being that there were people who couldn't do that, who were either working as part of the war effort, either as soldiers or as support. And because there were people living in urban areas who couldn't grow that. Right. You you happen to be and your neighbors and there are a lot of people who do have some outdoor space. But at best, it's maybe 20 percent of people in New York City, probably less um, that have access to space where they can actually grow something. So the well, I, I disagree with yeah? you. Yeah. Okay. I think a hundred percent of people have the space to grow something. Okay. Um, and that's something I have been thinking on a lot. Cool. And uh, I don't know. You're not going to have a full outdoor garden inside, right. 
oh, can you grow something? Sure. Can you grow high nutrient things? Most definitely. Yeah. Um, and like that is something that I do think of a lot because I think um, just watching something go from seed to something you are going to eat is like physically nourishing, but also like really mentally nourishing too. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up because I wanted to talk a little bit about that as far as like what else do you get aside from the nutrition and the deliciousness by growing your own food? Because there are other things that come with that. Well, um, on a basic level, it means you have to put your phone down and touch dirt. Right. Um, so it's like a time where you are very connected to what is right in front of you and what you are doing. Um, and for me, that's a big, big mental break as, as someone who is like everybody else, just like on a phone or on a computer mm -hmm. or screen all day. And even, uh, even more so now because we're all working from home. So you don't even have those completely. moments of like sitting in a meeting. You're on no, your phone I for actually, the meeting. It's exhausting. Um, or I'm not even on the subway anymore. Like, right, right. And I'm really fortunate to be one of those people that can do that, to be very clear. Like that is certainly like right. a privilege I'm very right. aware of. Um, but I, I think that like being outside is important. And like for me during the peak of the pandemic, like as someone who also really deals with a lot of anxiety um, and depression, like it really gave me something to do that was not just reading about how this virus was like decimating my city, which not that I'm disengaging from that or blocking it out, but you can't just look at that 24 hours a day. Um, so the idea that I could watch plants grow, uh, really helped my mental state. And that was also a big part of why I wanted to share seedlings with people. At the end of the day, do I want everyone to grow their own food and have the capability and ability to do that? Hell yeah. Um, if people take this plant though, and it like dies, but like, and they didn't get much out of it, but like they really enjoyed watching it grow. Like to me, that's enough. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it and it, and it, there are, you know, it, it is, it's a living thing that you're also nourishing and that you are, you know, interacting with, yeah. um, you know, there are tons of studies about, you know, people that gardening helps you to helps with longevity. I mean, you know, my grandmother is almost 90 and credits the fact that she gardens for how she's made it through the years since her husband died. Wow. It Feeling really isolated during the pandemic, I was alone in my house for a good chunk of it, um, or at the be at the beginning as things were getting worse. Um, my roommate who I live with was actually stuck in quarantine in Mississippi. Hmm. Um, so I was home just in my house by myself starting all these plants, and it, it did feel like, um, you know, here's just like a little bright spot of something that I can look at. And I, I think other people felt that way. Like people sent me... Uh, messages and people wrote like handwritten notes that they left at my house just to like tell me how it just felt to see the plants and to be able to come in and take plants. That's really cool. So what advice do you have for people who are like interested in getting started growing? I mean, this season is, is fairly well started, but it's not too yeah. late to start growing. It's stuff. definitely not too late. Actually, I'm about to be starting my fall garden for the first time. Um <laughs> And like trying to, that's not something I'm, that I'm still really learning about. Um, but my, my advice to get started, is that what you asked? Yeah. Um, think about what you like eating. Right. Which is what I do. Um, some people ask me like, well, what's the easiest thing to grow? And I guess for, for me, the easiest things to grow are the ones that I care about. Mm. Um, they may need more care, but things that like, I'm not that into like that feels like a, a chore. Sure. Um, and I think that uh, connecting to other people that have knowledge, a lot of the knowledge and you and I have talked about this just in other plants, um, you know, you should totally Google what you want to do um, right. and use the internet as a resource. But if you can connect with other people um, and talk to them and start to learn the language 
it's pretty great. Um, it is like a weird secret society of gardeners. Cause like <laughs> it is because you can tell, and I can tell just after like a couple hundred people have come through my house and picked up plants. Like I can tell by the questions that people ask, like, well, how much gardening experience they have. Right. And like when you meet another person who gardens and they start talking about, um, you know, germination rates or what goes well here, what, you know, th- those types of things, like it, it doesn't really matter so much what your differences are. If you can connect in that way, it, it is like a weird separate language and um, shared experience, which I think is cool too. Right. Yeah. Um, and what would you say, like, what's your number one pest growing Oof. in an urban environment? I have to say that it changes every year, (laughs) which is the most infuriating thing because I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Last year I got the, the squirrels to stop eating my figs because I bought a giant like tree net condom thing. Um, And then at the end of the freaking season, there was like tent caterpillars everywhere, which I've never even seen in New York in my property um, or in my yard. Um, and then this year I've got, oh God, um, centipedes, which who knew and less slugs, which I was like ready to fight these slugs this year who are also a problem. And, um, a lot of people ask me about rats. I am thankful enough to not have to have interactions with rats in my garden, but I'm worried that that's going to happen this year because we've been having increased rat presence in the neighborhood. Got it. Um, people also always ask, like people who are starting the garden always ask if it's going to bring cats, huh. which it does, doesn't. Um, although we have had a couple litters of kittens in the front of the house okay. um, that like street cats have left. Um, but like pests, I don't know, you know, and this year, I mean, now I'm just ranting about <laughs> this year. I was just so f- excited to like eat lettuce that I grew. And I was just like, what the hell is eating these lettuces? Like they're just like getting coming and eating a phenomenal amount of lettuce in one take and like I was outside and it was these like very bold sparrows that were just like swooping in and like taking giant pecks at my lettuce and I had to get netting to cover that as well and I had never had that before um and they were doing it in front of me like almost like making eye contact with me and just being (laughs) like you are never going to eat this lettuce it is mine um, That's so interesting. I mean, in, in our garden in Rhode Island, we have had slugs have been a huge problem. Um, yeah. But, I mean, we have tons and tons of birds around. The only plant that something is eating, and we think it might be the chipmunks, yeah. is the bok choy. Oh, that's funny. The bok choy is all completely just like shaved down to little nubs. Yeah. Um, everything else seems to be doing fine. You know, here and there, there'll be a piece missing. And the slugs have definitely been intense. But. The slugs are, I hate them. I hate them so much. I hate them. <laughs> um, yeah, it's hard to sometimes figure out what is getting to your plant. It's funny because, like, I never had aggressive birds in my yard till this year. And I have another friend who, he and I kind of started gardening the same year together. Um, and he'd always be like, man, these damn birds keep coming and eating the top of my pepper plants. And I was like, what are you talking about? That doesn't happen. <laughs> and I totally, like, just didn't even believe that was happening and now i called him this year and i was like i'm so sorry you're right those birds are assholes (laughs) (laughs) um yeah it's i don't know like the the pests are annoying and then also just trying to find a way to like deal with them that is um not chemical based is really hard right um and then blight is like a big thing and i just treated my tomato plants for early blight yesterday Hmm. um which i can't totally tell if they have uh but i am learning in my eighth year that if you think you have it you should treat your plants early Uh, before it because once you know you have it it's too late interesting what does early blight look like on the lower um tomato uh, on a tomato plant like the lower leaves will start to turn yellow and then they get like brown cankers on them um and it will start to move up the plant and it could kill them. And I oh. noticed that a couple of them uh, have had that. If you have late blight, you're probably screwed. And I've had that. I had that last year and it was like, it's just so upsetting. <laughs> um, and, and that said, I still, 
even though I had a tremendous amount of my plants die last year, um, or my tomato plants, I, I, it pushed me to actually start other things later in the year that I wouldn't have normally. Like I grew broccoli for the first time last year. Hmm. Um, I still got a decent tomato harvest. Um, I just didn't have like what I usually have where I like I dry a ton of tomatoes and like can a bunch of tomatoes right. and uh it's great to have friends like you because actually uh you're the one that taught me how to can stuff <laughs> <laughs> and it's not something I would have ever really tried unless I saw somebody else doing it probably. sure um well before we wrap up since we're mm. we're getting close to the end um I just would oh, yeah. love to hear about like what are some groups if people hear this and they think all right I'm going to do it I want to get started like who can they reach out to to find out a little bit more and maybe just get some you know some moral support in the city for gardening I mean anyone can hit me up on Instagram I'm cool. at Lucy Laser L A S E R um gosh that's such a hard question um hmm let me think. I feel like it, it's tough. Like, I, I feel like, hmm, that's a really good question. Like, who's the groups? I feel like a lot of the groups that I work with are fairly autonomous. Hmm. Um, but I know that, like, um, the Queer Kitchen Brigade does a big gardening effort. Um, there's another group that I'm involved with called Radical Gardeners that's um, – more but, but th- those are like pretty decentralized groups sure <laughs> um but i would say like i also am just a very nosy person um <laughs> and if you see a community garden that is open and you see somebody gardening like i will oftentimes just pop in and be like hey what are you growing yeah how is your season going right um and that's kind of how i got a lot of like knowledge and growth and like that's actually how I met a couple of families who were just like gardening for the first time and like got to talk to them right I mean um, I, and and the, I mean you make a good point like the community gardens are a really great place to start especially if you live in an apartment uh where you don't have outside access yes um, and I will tell you here's the thing it depends on where you live for sure but I know that because I think I always wanted to have a garden in New York, but I was like, oh, you can't get a spot in any of these community gardens. They're probably full with like people who've been in them for 20, 30 years. They are not. Hmm. They are absolutely not. Some, some probably are. Like I know yeah. that like in Williamsburg, it's probably the case. Um, but I know like the, the community garden on my block has not a huge amount of members. They have more space. Right. I know that like the community garden around the corner from me has, has space. I went to a community garden in the Bronx that was like almost a city block size and the the woman who ran the garden was like yeah we don't really have any members you know um and i i think maybe there's a perception of of scarcity right um because like property and space and land in new york is so expensive and hard to come by that maybe some people are dissuaded from trying to get a space in that and Mm. i would definitely say like try to plug in with those things right Totally. Um, awesome. Is there anything else that you are working on related to gardening that you want to mention before we wrap up? Actually, there's a really cool, um, one of the inspiring things that I've been, uh, that has been really exciting to me is just, um, there's been a bunch of like autonomous gardens popping up. Um, there's one in Bushwick that just started maybe four weeks ago. Um, that was like, the way it's been described to me was that it was like an empty piece of land that was owned by some kind of slumlord and that they are now occupying this land. Cool. And they took down the like plywood fencing and have just been planting food. And now they are also maybe a a hub. They might be a hub for like either a free fridge, but they also do food distro there and they have music and they have, um, you know, like a a bunch of growing space and composting because composting in New York hasn't been happening. So those things, and and like, I was very happy to like bring them some supplies and like plants. And I'm really excited to just see people doing autonomous things. I'm also really excited about um, like the radical gardener gardening group that I'm involved in does a lot of like um, planting and in public space and also foraging and um grafting which i think is really cool Mm. um where you graft like fruit trees onto non-fruit bearing trees 
oh, in public. Wow. Oh, cool. Yeah, which is uh, like totally not my expertise, uh, but something like I'm really excited to know people that are doing that. Yeah, that sounds super um, cool. Yeah, because I just think that food is like a human right and people should have access. Like that, at the end of the day, and I don't think I got to say this yet, like food is political. What you put in your body is political. What you have access to is, and it needs to be more equal and people need access to these resources and it shouldn't even be a question. Right. Um, and one of the things that I am really passionate now, I'm on a rant, um, is just <laughs> increasing people's like resiliency and access to fresh and healthy food and to have a connection to where their food comes from. Yeah. Um, you know, whether that uh, improves your physical health, uh, cool. But if it helps your mental health, if it like makes you talk to strangers in your neighborhood, like, those things are really important. And I have like, Oh, now I'm just on a full fucking tear. Um, <laughs> like, uh, it's just, it's like, I talked to a reporter a few weeks ago, actually. And I lost my temper with him quite a bit. Cause he was like, well, don't you think everyone needs to eat organic food? And I was just like, fuck, you know, right. Um, I think it's everyone not... needs to eat what they can eat. Yeah. And everyone needs I to have think- food. Everyone needs food, and I would never ever be one of those people who's like, "Is that organic? I'm not going to eat that if it isn't." Right. Um, it's ridiculous, and I think that I am just as happy to like be able to have a place in my neighborhood that sells fresh food. You know. Yeah. Um, and I would never advocate ever that pe- people ask me all the time, like, "Should I buy like organic dirt?" And I'm like, "Buy dirt. Get dirt." Right. Like whatever's in that dirt, even if it's not organic, is going to wash out. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, anyways, I, th- I think it's important to point out that if you do, if you are planning to grow things directly in the soil in the city, mm-hmm. you should have your soil tested. A thousand percent. That's because, a different issue. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Different thing. But you should have it tested because lead more than likely is already in there and you don't want oh, that the, in your tomatoes. Don't grow in the ground in New York, period. Yeah. Uh, like container gardening is easy and I think it's a good compatible system in New York city because our soil is so toxic. And I will say like dirt, gosh, I mean, dirt is also expensive. And that is also a thing that I, I think dirt is the most expensive part of gardening, honestly. And that's the thing that I feel frustrated about. I feel like if you want to grow, but here, can I say one more thing? Sorry. Now I'm really, because I, I, I regret what I just said, saying, like, don't grow in the ground. I do grow in the ground. I, you're right. I yeah. grow, my raspberries are in the ground. My figs are in the ground. Um, but you know what? Like, those aren't um, the predominant part of my diet. And, like. Well, and, and some plants take up heavy metals and some plants. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that's the, the thing I think to be careful of. I mean, I remember when I was first gardening at our apartment in Greenpoint we did have the soil tested and I think most of that was a raised yeah. bed anyway and it came back that it, it had very low levels of lead but in the research I did at the time you know tomatoes are one of the things I think that people tend to try to grow because it seems yeah. worth it as you pointed out that's what got you started and tomatoes do pull lead out of the soil and it accumulates in the right. fruit. So very specifically, especially because if you have kids, I mean, you know, like there's a lot of reasons to be careful of that. But in the amount of raspberries that you're eating, and you know, I don't know that much about raspberries specifically, but like, you know, you may not be talking about getting that much lead any more than you would. No, it's like I will be fortunate if I can get uh, eight to ten pints of raspberries for the season. It fruits once. Right. <laughs> I mean, I, yeah. And that sounds pretty good. I mean, eight to 10. I mean, you want to talk about like a, a value I proposition. I mean, what a pint of raspberries is probably 10 bucks at the mm-hmm. farmer's market. Yeah, it's... So, you know, I mean, if you're buying 10 of those, that's a hundred bucks. And, you know, the plant, if you, and that plant, and that's yeah. a perennial. So like that plant is going to, you'll have raspberries this next year This is our too. <laughs> fourth or fifth year once. having raspberries and every year it gets larger and crazier. Same with the fig tree. Right. Um, but yep. and like I said, those are. But I I would not want to like dissuade somebody from growing some stuff in their ground. I would dissuade people from growing everything, like starting a farm in that soil. Yep. But like growing a couple of things, it's not going to kill you. Like, 
it's just not. There are other things. It's just not. And we didn't even touch on growing things like flowers. Oh, I don't even grow fucking flowers. Your apartment flowers. to make it beautiful. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> like I, people always say, I have two rose bushes in the front, and it's because my roommate likes flowers. But I could care less. I couldn't care less. Uh, I couldn't care less about flowers, except I started growing borage this year because someone gave me seeds and they taste like cucumbers. So I was like into that. I don't, uh, have you ever tasted them? Yeah, I, yeah. I had never until yeah, yeah. this year. Um, I don't know that I need to grow them again. I mean, I like. I mean, I I love nasturtium. Uh, I don't like them. And the flowers are delicious. Um, no, know, I, like I I guess that's the other thing. Like, I just don't find them that appealing. But that's the cool thing about about what we're talking about is that you don't like them. So you I don't did have to one grow year. And you can grow the stuff Because I had like. never eaten them. I was like, oh, I'll grow these. They're flowers. I don't know. And then I was like, oh, these taste terrible. And you know, technically, figs are flowers, right? So those are my flowers, right. I guess. Sure. Um, and yes. all the vegetables have flowers. Now, I, yeah. Yes. Anyway. Um, totally. But yeah, don't grow flowers, grow food. Well, thanks, Lucy. I really appreciate you taking thanks, the time um, and joining me on yes. Feast Your Ears. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to Feast Your Ears today. There are a lot of benefits to growing things for yourself and your community. Don't be afraid to give it a try. You've got plenty of time to start plants now for the late summer and fall. You can reach out to Lucy via Instagram at Lucy Laser, L-U-C-Y-L-A-S-E-R, if you have any questions for her. You can find Feast Your Ears as well as lots of other great shows at heritageradionetwork.org, on iTunes, Spotify, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please reach out if you have any questions. You can reach me via email, harry at thebrooklynkitchen.com, and you can follow me on Instagram at thefoodballer. Feast Your Ears is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash Heritage Radio Network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.